Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today comes to us from Houston, Texas, and grew up an hour south of there in Angleton, Texas on the Gulf Coast. He currently resides in Brooklyn, New York, with his wife and one-year-old daughter. He is one Zachary Ryan Parkman. Zach is a member of a couple of different bands, namely The Darkest Timeline, Bad Robot Jones, as well as a project that discusses the exploration of Mars called Here Lies the Human Race. As you can see, Zach is a musician. He is a full-time musician, although he has a myriad of other part-time gigs to help pay the bills. In terms of what is Zach currently working on creatively or what is inspiring him at the moment, well, the aforementioned sci-fi folk rock concept album about the colonization and eventual war for independence on Mars. And again, that project is titled Here Lies the Human Race. I will be dropping links to all of Zach's related musical projects in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. In terms of Zach's favorite sport or activity, Zach is a baseball fan. He is a still loyal Nationals fan, even while moving to New York City. In terms of Zach's favorite TV shows to watch or stream, he loves science fiction. He is a massive Star Trek fan. He also loves Doctor Who, and currently he is watching The Expanse, which, in his words, he says it would make sense, given that he's uh, currently writing an album about space exploration. He also likes the show Watchmen. Does Zach have any pet peeves? Well, in a nutshell... Zach has shared with us that that one particular pet peeve is, quote, Morrissey's voice, unquote. For our conversation today, we will be discussing Tom Waits and Small Change, or particularly Tom Traubert's blues. And in parentheses, you can put four sheets to the wind in Copenhagen. This is the first track on this record entitled Small Change. Small Change was recorded at Wally Heider Recording Studio in Los Angeles, California, and was released on September 21st of 1976 on Asylum Records. The name of the producer, that would be Bones Howe. Where does this recording fit, you might be wondering, into this artist's discography? Well, Small Change is the fourth album, so just after the now cult hit, Nighthawks of the Diner. So folks, I've kept you waiting long enough. Let's now welcome our guest to the program. This is Zach Parkman. Zach, it is such a pleasure to have you on. It's been a little while since we were able to catch up. How have you been? I have been great. I've been very busy, obviously. Um, you know, Moved from D.C. to, to Brooklyn, um, New York, I guess two years ago, um, so that's obviously an adjustment. Um, my wife and I had a kid uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, another major life sort of uh, 
uh, you know, stepping stone there. Um, so yeah, life has been drastically changed, but at the same time is, you know, is wonderful. And you've undertaken uh, several different musical projects. Yes. So, um, yeah, we met in D.C., obviously. That's where we know each other from. And that's kind of, I would say, is sort of home base for me still, or at least, you know, part, part, of, part of the time. Um, two, two of the uh, bands that I perform in are based out of there. Bad Robot Jones, which is a uh, sort of an indie prog sci-fi rock band uh, with Doogie Whitaker and uh, Joey Jenkins. Um, and then... Of course, uh, the darkest timeline with Jules Bland, um, sort of like a duo. Most of the time, it's like a duo, acoustic Americana thing. Um, we do moody, moody songs about you know dying in space and you know love forlorn and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then here lies the human race is a new um, a new outfit that I'm working on in Brooklyn, and it started as sort of a concept album that I was working on about the colonization of Mars um, and just sort of you know, sort of has taken off. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Um, my wife keeps telling me that I've written like a, a rock opera, um, but I, I think that's pretty ambitious. Um, so we'll see. But it's it's been fun so far. It sounds really cool. It sounds like you have a tremendous amount of creative output on your plate. And, uh, you know, our conversation, of course, is about Tom Waits, and in particular, his 1976 record, Small Change. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm curious, you know, what inspired you in particular to choose this record from Tom? Are there any projects that are informed by um, by his work, or is it something, you know, that's kind of outside, uh, you know, the various the various uh, sonic landscapes that you are out there creating with various collaborators. And that's, yeah, I would say that it's very core to who I am as a musician. It's, or, or it's sort of, sort of the roots of where I came from. Um, it was such a strange album and a strange voice to hear at the time that I heard it. I, I think I, I ran into, really, I didn't even know the album. I knew uh, the first song off the album, Tom uh, Chalbert's Blues, is uh, was featured on a movie about uh, a biopic, uh, a biopic, is that what you say? About uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, um, a, a movie called Basquiat, basically. It came out in, I think, 95 or 96. I remember seeing it in the Dobie Mall in Austin, Texas, uh, down on the on the drag um, there near near University of Texas, yeah. um, and and I just remember hearing this song in this voice, and it was just absolutely haunting. It was, I mean, I, for those who haven't heard Tom Waits, he has a very gravelly, very like howling wolf sort of uh, sound to to his uh, voice, you know, and and sings almost like a you know sort of a drunken hobo who just wandered onto stage. Um, but just amazing, um, the sort of the, the character of his voice and, um, the persona that he sort of takes on. And at the time I was, you know, I was what, 18 or 19. I was probably listening mostly to punk rock and metal and that kind of stuff. I, you know, I, I, I loved the blues. I remember uh, the first time I really 
you know, heard the blues when I was maybe 14 or 15 and, and just being like, oh, my God, what is this? And why haven't I heard it before? And, and, and hearing Tom Waits was like that. It was like, this is so outside. I didn't know this existed. You know, I knew that yeah. I knew that Frank Sinatra existed. I knew that there were crooners and that there were people who sang in that sort of uh, 40s and 50s kind of pop style. Um, but I never really knew that somebody did that something that was so sort of juxtaposed to that. I mean, it had sort of that kind of that kind of feel to it or that sort of like take. But also this like instead of being the glitz and glam of of Las Vegas. This was like some bar in, you know, in a far away, you know, tucked away on a corner somewhere in New Orleans that nobody went into, you know, only drunks and derelicts and people like that. And it, it, to me, that was just, it was, you know, a revelation that anybody would actually want to do that. Um, and uh, so it was, in a way, it's a very punk rock take on, on uh, American popular music. Sure. Um, Sure. So that yeah, so I remember hearing that tune and just being like, "Oh wow, I gotta know, I gotta know more about this. Uh, this is this is something, um, yeah, this is something so new <clears throat> to my ears." Um, and then so after afterwards, uh, finding out what album that was on, and uh, that's when I heard "Small Change." Where does this uh, particular record "Small Change" fit into Tom Waits's discography? Is it um? This is yeah. This is early weight. Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. for, I think I want to say it's the his fourth album, um, and it's right after Nighthawks, uh, which is a really cool album as well. That was sort of the second album that I I sort of worked backwards from Small Change, uh, Nighthawks at the Diner, and it's a studio album. But he recorded it in front of a live like audience to get the feel of being like in a lounge, um, and it's taken in like like very few takes like they just sort of like let the you know press press record and and just played and 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 whatever happened happened um and it's that's also another you know another very cool album but his early stuff is all that sort of rough crooner like lounge singer um style so it's very bluesy but not like not delta blues you know it's just sort of like yeah. this weird um, almost Chicago blues without the electric guitar um, feel, and it wasn't. You know, he I, he went through. The, you know, most of the '70s was that sort of style, and then when he got to the '80s, he sort of started doing a little bit more avant-garde um, stuff that he's known for. Um, and you know, he's also written a lot of songs that people have covered. You know, the Eagles covered one of his songs. Um, Rod Stewart, obviously, famously. Uh, Covered Downtown Train, which Train, is Tom yeah. Waits. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's a he's a in him, his himself is a prolific songwriter. You know, he has mm-hmm. obviously written hundreds and hundreds of songs. In in terms of you know where Small Change you know sits in the discography, there were several records in the early '70s before Small Change came out. Do you think that, and this may be you know obvious here, but is this kind of a continuum of a sound that he was? Uh, building upon from those records in the early 70s, or do you think this one, you know, might even sound a little bit more muscular in terms of instrumentation? Do you think he's really kind of refined a sound that he was that he was going after in some of those early records, and it's just, you know, the, the quality of this one in particular is just completely just out of this world good? 
I think, yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's oftentimes like, I mean, if you listen to the first couple of Bruce Springsteen albums, I'm, you know, I'm not, I was never really blown away with them. And it wasn't until like Born to Run and then Darkness that, that you sort of like think, okay, well, he's starting to hone in on what, what, who he is, you know? Um, and I think that he had great songs, you know, he's had great songs on, um, uh, Closing Time and, um, Hard Saturday Night, and those are you know wonderful stuff. But it, I think that he was starting to go. Okay, I'm. I want to start having like a concept to an album. I want to start you know reining in my songwriting, um, and I think this this album is sort of like it's very. It knows what it is, you know. It's not a collection of just sort of like songs that he was writing in a certain style. This was sort of like, all right, I am this person or I am this persona. I think that it was the beginning of that for him. I, mean, I think that Nighthawks did a lot to sort of like push him in that direction as well. Um, but this is where he started going, okay, these albums need to be, they need to be sort of contained and um, and thought out and um, have some sort of theme to them. Talking with Zach Parkman of The Darkest Timeline, Bad Robot Jones, on cover to cover with Matt Tarka and Zach, this feels like a natural segue to uh, perhaps talk about some of your favorite tracks and why they are your favorite tracks. So um, however you would like to begin, if you want to uh, cover just a few songs, if you, if you want to go track by track, we, you know, we can do that. What, um, what, what track say speaks to you the most right now off the top? I mean, it will always be the first track. It will always, that will always be Tom Traubert's Blues um, will always be, because that was my introduction to him. That was the one that I, it's, you know, it's got that amazing sort of uh, chorus that harkens to, back to the, to the Australian, I guess you'd call it a folk song, a waltzing Matilda. That's sort of what pulled me in. I was like, what, there's this guy rambling on and on about, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I think he was just, you know, he, at, at the time I thought this is a rambling drunk who's just sort of like he's in like some sort of haze, delirium, and he's just spouting off, you know, places he's been or places he wishes he, you know, he could return to or people he's known. Uh, I didn't know what was going on, but I just knew that it it called to me, and then it was sort of like all, all connected by this awesome cho- um, chorus. Um, mm-hmm. that that will always be my favorite song by Tom Waits, bar none. Um, <clears throat> the idea of waltzing Matilda, um, yeah, j- just by just by some little research that I did. Apparently, waltzing Matilda means to uh, to travel with your swag. You know, you're just kind of moving about to and fro, and yeah. that, that idea of moving about to and fro really, you know, speaks to this sort of drunken hobo character, you know, just rambling on about people he knows, memories that, that, that he's made over time. And it's just, he's, he's kind of, you know, riffing on life in some ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maltzy Matilda. Yeah. I just, I just remember it sort of like, um, it really, I don't know what it was about that, that, that particular, particular line, um, that sort of, caught me but yeah yeah definitely um yeah so that that that's my favorite one I, you can go down the list from there i think the next one is step right up 
and that's another one where he's sort of just he is just going I, I mean I don't even know if he if he wrote these lyrics down or if he um or if he was just sort of improvising um I don't know how you <laughs> it's like one of the songs like um REM's uh what is it end of the world as yeah. we know it like yeah, yeah. how do you remember those lyrics like how do you, you know what do you you just have to spend hours and hours you know singing them right um so many yeah. disparate topics in in that song. The first thing that 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 jumped out for me here was he's it, it's definitely got that sort of scat crooning vibe to it, but he's yeah. also kind of this tipsy carnival barker. I mean, you know, totally, in, totally, in reading totally. some of these lyrics, it's it's as if he's taking you know snippets of hundreds of infomercials that he's watched <laughs> on television, you know. And there's you know there's somebody under under the tent, you know, just talking about. Yeah. What a great deal you'll get, you know. Never stops, lasts a lifetime, you know. Yep. This thing mows your lawn for you, you know. Don't That's be right. fooled by cheap imitations. Like every like piece of, you know, you know, commercialization, you know, of, of trying to sell you a product, uh, seems to somehow be uh, encapsulated in step right up. And yeah, there there are these like fun little flourishes of. Um, uh, uh, tenor sax here with some shuffling drums and upright bass. It's you know you know at its core musically it's just it's a it, it's a flashy little number and then you add all of these ideas of what you're constantly being bombarded with in terms of advertisements. It's it's just a nice counterpunch. Yeah, it's you know it, 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 you could almost call it like beat poetry or or um, yeah. Some sort of some sort of weird poetry like that, uh, like slam poetry. You know, it's yeah. just it's yeah. it's just this weird sort of, um, yeah, nonstop rolling <laughs> advertisement. Um, but yeah, that's another you know it's another one. It's just, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the, the dude's a genius. He's a he's a he's he's a genius songwriter. I I wish that I could come up with these these ideas for songs. You know, like I'm. Um, Sometimes I'm pretty impressed with myself, but this is this is thematically, you know, out there. It's really out there. It's going out on a limb and not really caring, you know, where the song sort of takes you. They're going with it. Let's talk about Jitterbug Boy. All right. That's another sort of real, like a persona, isn't it? It's like, isn't that like sort of another one that he's, he takes on like a real, like person, like, you're gonna to have to remind me of the lyrics now. Yeah, I mean he's. Well, he starts off by singing, "Well, I'm a jitterbug boy by the shoe shine resting on my laurels and my hearties too." That's a that's a nice little comedic yeah uh, reference there. Life of Riley on the swing ship. Girls follow, <laughs> girls follow my drift. Once upon a time, I was in showbiz too. So he's he's reflecting on yeah, some yeah, other yeah, yeah, some yeah. other portion of his character and. You know, he's talking about seeing the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field and going down to watch the run for, you know, run for the roses at the Kentucky Derby. Right, 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 right. You know, slow women or slow, slow women, fast women, slow horses. And yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah so this is when he's sort of like looking back at all like the places he's been. And yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's um, – and is that another one where he's like he's, – he's singing in a really gravelly voice, like he's really laying it on. Yes. Pretty thick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost it's it's almost like a guy that you know he you know he found time to you know watch the local fight in town. You know he he 
saw Rocky Marciano in his prime. <laughs> you know, he saw Minnesota Fat. He he ran into celebrities like uh, <laughs> like Marilyn Monroe. You know, he got he he found Louis Armstrong. You know, so, you know, perhaps in a bar and, and got drunk with him one night. Right, 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 right. Yeah, he's he's referencing all of these all this stuff. Yeah, people. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing the, the life that this guy has led. Ah, uh, yeah. I wish I was in New Orleans with the next track here. All right, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. We have some grand piano, some almost like fuzzy orchestral string arrangements, and, you know, that tenor sax is back again that kind of reveals itself in the chorus. Mm. He's he's hoisted up a few tall, cool ones. You know, he's playing some pool. He's listening to that tenor saxophone. You know, this, this puts him right in New Orleans. He's listening to the Saints go marching in. You know, talking about the whiskers on his chin. It's, uh, you know, it's he's he's right there in the thick of it at the Big Easy. This is just kind of like, uh, you know, just a transition back down to that that part of the country where he's he's lived some life and yeah, you know, he's 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 bragging about you know to, to friends or peers about oh, you know, he'll he'll drink you under the table. You know, he'll be red nosed. He'll go for He'll go for walks around town. So the guy certainly is. Um, he, he's he's hooked up with his friends. He's been a little overserved, but he's he's uh, you know he's really proud of the memories that he's made in the Big Easy. I mean, really, I mean, he has a real ability to 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 pull you out of yourself and into a time and a place. Um, and I don't know, you know, how many people listening to this have been to New Orleans, but. Um, I, I certainly remember my first experience. Is actually, oh, good lord, I must have been 15 years old, uh, and my my family and I were going to Disney World. I think no, yeah, to Florida. But yeah, we lived we lived in Houston, so you know our first stop was in uh, New Orleans, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if my parents knew what they were doing, but they sort of just uh, let us loose um, in the French Quarter. Uh, my my siblings and my myself, yeah, and I, that was really where I I discovered, you know, um, real sort of slick blues, um, not just like not Delta Delta blues, but real you know sort of city blues um, for the first time. Um, and I remember wandering around you know Bourbon Street and and seeing lots of things that were very interesting to a 15 year old boy. Um, and and getting this real sense of this amazing architecture, this amazing feel of this city, but also this real sort of seedy low side of life. And I don't want I don't say that with like any sort of like value. I'm not saying that people are are less than, but you know this real sort of like the the difference between you know uh, the sacred and the profane. You know, it's real, yeah. Yeah. It's real dichotomy. Um, in the way that people lived, and the people, the way that people expressed themselves, and the way that people experienced life, and the way that they um, celebrated, um, and and New Orleans was a very, you know, it's a very hard partying town. Um, that's part of its business. Um, and uh, yeah, so every time I hear that song, that's you know, that's what I, that's where I'm drawn back to. I'm drawn back to a little bar on Bourbon Street where I'm listening to, you know. Four guys play the blues, and I'm just getting absolutely blown away. Right. Um, 
Talking to Zach Parkman here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. And the next track on this 1976 effort from Tom Waits' A Small Change is The Piano Has Been Drinking. In parentheses, <laughs> in parentheses, he's been quick to point out, not me. Not me. That's, you know, and this is sort of his, you know, his his wit. He's really, really, really showing it, showing off here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's not much of a, it's not a complicated song. It's, it's, but it's, it's got a, it's got a catchy little chorus of the piano has been drinking, not me, um, yeah. which is great. You know, it's great because you know going and talking about all the other instruments and their and their issues that they're having. Um, I'm imagining this guy who he's commandeered, you know, a piano at either like yeah. some little club or maybe some boutique hotel in, in New Orleans. And, exactly. You know, uh, you know, there are some guests in a lobby that are paying attention to a lot of the thematic elements that he's throwing out there and others just want to throw him out onto the yep. street. I'm just waiting for this guy. Please, somebody get him off stage. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> totally. I, I totally can see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great song. That's, a, that's another one that's sort of like sticks out to me. I just think it's it's hilarious. Um one that I could almost it almost reminds me of like like the worst wedding singer in the world. You know? Like just at the end you know, the end of the reception and this guy is just plastered and and they don't blame it don't blame it on me. Blame it, you know, the piano's been drinking. Right. You know, you mentioned some of your experiences uh, with punk rock when you were younger, and um, I was I was thinking about a band uh, called the New Amsterdam. So it's kind of an uh, an outgrowth of a band called the Get Up Kids. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, lead singer of uh, New Amsterdam is, is uh, Matt Pryor, and he has a song called Picture in the Paper. And he, I, I believe this is kind of a small nod here to Tom Waits's. Uh, you know, the piano's been drinking, not me. And in uh, one portion of, I think it's the second verse, he says, it's possible the piano's been drinking, but it's not me. It couldn't <laughs> be. I'm sincere as I can be. And, you know, he's, yeah, he's talking that's about a much yeah, different subject. Uh, right. But but I, I found, I just was recalling that and listening back to this Tom Waits track, like, huh, you know, he's he's just inspired a plethora of different musicians, no matter what genre they might um, be identified with. Yeah, I think so. I think that just across the board, you can you can find Tom Waits, um, you know, fans or people that have at least been influenced in some way, um, whether it's you know via gospel, you know, like gospel musicians or blues musicians or country musicians. Or I think it's just he's one of those American uh, sort of touchstones that if you were you know listening to music within the last forty years, I guess. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have crossed paths at some point. Certainly. The next track that we have on Small Change is it's a it's a kind of a personal favorite of mine and that's Invitation to the Blues. Yes. That's a it's good a, one. It it reminds me a, a little bit just in in a similar vein to uh Bob Dylan's Ballad of a Thin Man. Yeah, definitely. It's it's got um, that same kind of swing to it, but uh but what say you? It's it's a pretty song. It's a great song. In fact, it's the only song off this album that I've ever attempted to cover live. Um, it's, and I don't know whether it's just because of lyrically, it's the it's the most um, it's the easiest one, you know, for my for my voice to to, to cover, or um, it's just 
one the one that I felt the, the most kinship to. Um, I've certainly wanted, you know, I've dreamed of, of covering Step Right Up, but I didn't even know how to approach it. I was like, I don't, I don't even know where to, you know, to insert myself into this. If I'm doing like an acoustic cover, I, I wouldn't know where to begin. Um, what are your favorite lyrics? lyrics? What are your favorite lyrics um, on the song? Taste of the blues. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. I'll have to. I'll have to read the lyrics. Um, you want me to read you a couple? Yeah, 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 yeah. Please. Sure. Uh, well, she's up against the register with an apron and a spatula. Yesterday's yeah. deliveries. Tickets for the bachelor. Bachelor. She's a moving violation. Violation. Down, down to her shoes. Yes. Yeah. Invitation oh, to the blues. Oh man. This is so you, good. And you feel just like Cagney. She looks like Rita Hayworth <laughs> <laughs> at the counter of the Schwab drugstore. You wonder if she might be single. She's a loner and likes to mingle. Got to be patient. Try to pick up a clue. He really did. He had a, he had a thing for drugstores. He had a thing for like diners and drugstores and places where people just sort of like like working people collided, you know, where people from yeah. the street came in, you know, and people that were getting off the late shift. Mm-hmm. Um, that was sort of like his, that was his world, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's part of what um, really attracted me to his sort of like his songs. Cause at the time I was, well, I must, you know, it was late teens, early twenties, you know, out of my parents' home, you know, trying to discover the world for myself and probably doing much of the, you know, experiencing much of the same things as far as just sort of late night, you know, going from bar to bar and then ending up in a in a diner somewhere. Um, yeah. Trying soaking to figure up, out. I'm soaking up yeah. some booze or just catching up on that last cup of coffee. Exactly. Trying, trying to wake up, you know, or yeah. try to sober up or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. um, wherever you are. Um, and maybe, that, you know, there's a little, there's a, there's a romanticization of, uh, to that, you know, um, that that I think that it's still it's still I'm still attracted to it, even though you know I'm a, I'm a father and a, you know a 43 year old you know working musician yeah. who who if you know once the gig is over I'm out you know my yeah. days of like my days of like hanging out after the gig and getting drunk are are gone I have you know I'm I am. I turn into a pumpkin if I stay out much later than two. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. you get to that point where you're just sort of like, ugh. But there's still a sort of like a bittersweetness to that where I can sort of like look back on those days and go, ah, you know, that's not who I am now, but that is part of what brought me to who I am today. You know, I still I still have fond memories of, of being young and 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 being out there trying you know trying to find myself in the world uh, trying to find my tribe trying to find my mm-hmm. sound whatever it is mm-hmm. um, so yeah so this is that i guess that's who you know not necessarily who tom waits is for me but definitely who this for this this album is for me it's 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 a time and a place you know it's it always draws me back to a to a time in my life absolutely we're talking with zach parkman here on Cover to cover with Matt Tarka and the uh, track following "Invitation to the Blues" is certainly on the seedier side. It's called "Pasties <laughs> and a G-string." Some real primitive sounds here. You think it's going to be, you know, filled out with that tenor sax and maybe Tom's grand piano, but 
it's drums. It's it's a couple toms, it's a couple cymbals, and you know some snare cracks, and it just it's a, it's got this sort of like you know driving jazz beat that's pervasive throughout the whole track with Tom Rat yeah. Tom Waits kind of you know uh, ad libbing in some respects over the song. Right. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it sounds a lot like some really early sort of like. Uh, I mean, dirty blues, like like you know, strip club blues, you know, play, you know, okay, and, and it's what it's meant to sound like. It's supposed to be kind of very primal, yeah. uh, almost you know, sort of like a, a tribal beat, and and just yeah, this guy rapping probably there's you know some some someone in the background doing a striptease at some point, mm-hmm. um, and which which is odd. That's the cover of the the album is sort of Tom in the in this sort of back room. Um, dressing room with uh, with a lady of the night, a stripper of, of some somebody uh, behind him, sort of like you know looking off off into the distance, like she doesn't want to be there. Right. Um, and I, and a little bit of trivia for this album is that many people say that that is Elvira, the 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 actress who plays Elvira, um, and I forget her name, it's Cassandra something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, she herself will not will neither deny or confirm that that is her. Um, <laughs> so we'll you know we'll we'll chalk that up to lore, but that does seem to be the prevailing opinion okay. out there. Yeah. From uh, pasties in a G string, we go to we go to bad liver and a broken heart, and mm. this gets back to you know, the real kind of minimalist in terms of just, you know, choice of instruments. It's just Tom and his piano. Yeah. It's a good, this, this album is sequenced really well. What do you think? No, definitely. I mean, it has a, it has a pace and it sort of like takes you up and then down. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it was well thought out. It was, this is certainly not just a, was not thrown together. It's not a collection of songs really that he had been, gigging around and then had to make an album. This is definitely, you know, he's taking us, he's taking us on a journey. I wonder if he, you know, and again, this is pure conjecture, but if, if, if he had any relationships with the people, you know, the women that he's referencing in Pasties and a G string, um, it sounds like this, this song is, is, is almost a, a confessional in some way to a relationship that just, either just faded or went awry. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. Yeah. After that, we, we have the one that got away, and this gets back to some upright bass, tenor sax, and we've got some nice little finger snaps in, in the mix hmm. here. Yeah, this is sort of like he's back is he's back on his feet. Yeah. Maybe he's, yeah. He's, we got a little more, more energy. Yeah. Um, Do you think he's referring to himself as a gigolo? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, he'd like to believe that. Yes, <laughs> sure. A um, a gigolo or a uh, a Casanova of of some regard, uh-huh. maybe in, in certain in certain uh, in certain corners or certain circles. But yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, it's, a good, it's a good it's a good little number. After the one that got away, we have the title track, "Small Change," and the song begins with just a simple strike of a match. Mm. Before we hear breathy yeah. tenor sax and you know our our narrator a la Tom Waits providing his only you know spoken word the only way that he can provide spoken word <laughs> with uh, his cadence 
It's he's yeah. got a very unique cadence throughout this album. Oh, man. Yeah, this one I'm 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 blanking on it. I'm not you know, it's the title track and I don't know that I even have Well it starts passing. off Yeah, well it starts off by saying, you know, small change got rained on with his own thirty eight and nobody flinched down by the arcade. Yeah. And the marquees weren't weeping. They went stark raving mad. And the cabbies were the only ones that really had it made. And his cold trousers were twisted in the sirens high and shrill and crumpled in his fist was a $5 bill. And the naked mannequins with their Cheshire grins and the raconteurs and roustabouts said, buddy, come on in. Because the dreams ain't broken down here now. They're walking with a limp. Now that small change got rained on his own thirty-eight. And the story continues. It's so like it just to me it harkens back to like a, like an alley a Ginsburg poem, you know. It's that sort of a feel. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's really, I feel like he took a lot from the beats. Um, he's sort of yeah. like, yeah, that's that's you know he he was obviously sort of like discovered them as a kid and um, and that really informed just the way that he he. Um, imbued the world um yeah. that's yeah it's and, amazing and, it's amazing what literature po- you know, poetry the you know in, in that point in time when he was growing up and you know when we were younger i mean you, you just having access to that type of art can shape you no matter where you live i mean this is a guy who grew up in pomona california of all places yeah. and, and developed the sound that he did um Personally, I'm not familiar with, you know, a music scene around Pomona, but it sounds like there were plenty of choices, whether they were jazz clubs or folk clubs and, you know, similar things that were happening in, in New Orleans or, you know, in the Northeast. It was um, definitely a, a very rich musical community for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was probably on a smaller scale, but definitely he, he you know, you had your choice out there. Um, yeah. It is amazing how how art sort of like overlaps and informs. Because um, I I mean I think I was also I also went through sort of like a a, a beat period and you know at the same time that I was getting into into um, into Tom Waits was sort of when I was reading Kerouac and Burroughs and all of those guys um, and really wanted to envision you know I, you know you want to see yourself, especially at a young age, um, as somebody who has some experience in life, even though you have zero, <laughs> you have none, you yes. haven't, you know, and or at least hopefully, hopefully you haven't, hopefully you haven't had the experience of a 50-year-old man at the age of, of 18, because that would mean you had a horrible, you know, childhood. You right. really had, yeah, you really did some living, and um mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, all of this stuff was coming to a head for me at the time that I was listening to Wake, sort of like also adjusting. Like like I said, I, I you know discovered Basquiat as far as art was concerned, and Warhol, and I was really intrigued with what was going on in New York City in the uh, in the '60s. Definitely getting into Lou Reed, um, the Velvet Underground, and uh, reading the Beats. So that's that's the headspace I was in when. Um, when I was, you know, hearing Tom Waits for the first time, um, mm-hmm. it was all sort of like a swirling um, madness. And um, 
and really wanting to be or find myself in uh, that kind of reckless abandon. You know, it seems like yeah. these were people that were just were making art, but they were also like living really, really hard lives. They were like throwing themselves into their art, and then they were soothing the pain um, through you know drink or drug or sex or whatever it happened yeah. to be. Yeah. It was almost like that was their art was their religion, um, and they were they were really um, really throwing their bodies and their spirit and their soul into it. Um, and I'm sure that it frightened my parents to no end. You know, <laughs> to, you know, it was like, oh, really? These are your idols? These are the people that you want to emulate? Um, yes. But you have to sort of go through that, I think, um, and and do it, and and hope for the best. But um, yeah. Yeah, we are talking with artist Zach Parkman here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka and uh, Zach. The next track we have here is I can't wait to get off work and in parentheses <laughs> and see my baby on Montgomery Avenue. And I don't know where Montgomery Avenue is. I'm assuming it's it could be a made up you know avenue, or it could be in you know L.A. or wherever he was at the time. <laughs> oh man. Zach, I, I like to ask this question, you know, just about every record that, that we discuss here on the program, and this one is related to cover art. Um, yep. We're we're in this universe where everything is moving incredibly fast, whether it's information, whether it's access to information. It's, it's all access in the palm of our hand or, you know, easily with a click of a few buttons, and even in our crazy 21st century and we're, we've just ushered in a new decade, artwork remains that cornerstone with every piece of music that's released, whether it's a single or a full-length album. When you look at small change here, what is conjured up in your mind? Do you, do you think this is a pretty accurate representation of the art that you're about to absorb and experience? Yeah. No, yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think that um, the the cover art, which you know I referenced earlier as being him, uh, Tom, sort of like hanging out in a uh, in a dressing room, probably at a strip club because there is a scantily clad woman right behind him. I think, yeah, I think that he is he is showcasing front and center the world in which we're about to enter. Um, so yeah, um, I think it's it's on par. Um, with the album, I think I think album art is. I don't know whose idea it was to start, you know, to start putting art on the fronts of, of covers. And, you know, I, I, I can't I can't imagine that there was much time between, you know, LPs being pressed and there not being something besides just a you know the the written name of whoever was performing or the composer. At some point, there had to you know. Somebody had to have thought to put, you know, a picture of a pretty girl or you know somebody playing a piano or something, right, um, on the cover. Um, and so the evolution of that has had, to, you know, I'm sure that somebody has done a dissertation on that themselves. Um, but it it just seems to go part and parcel with with um, art. I don't think it's ever going to go away, even in this sort of streaming age. I feel like there's always needs to be some visual aspect that um, that goes along. To sort of like help center the you know the listener to go okay this is this is who you're a this is who you're listening to or this is what 
you know, we want you to, um, this is the sort of the lens we want you to to view this music through. Yeah. I find it interesting that his name and the album title is uh, justified. <laughs> uh, left oh, yeah. Justified and right, right justified. It's, it's, it's completely away from the image that, you know, seems to draw you in first. And that that is Tom Waits is kind of, He's sitting on this table, presumably in the dressing room of this dancer at this club that he may frequent, and his his posture and 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 her posture too. Um, she is topless in this photo for the, for the front cover, and it's as if they got into some kind of an argument. The body yeah. language is suggesting that they are, you know, th- that there was a really tense moment before this photograph was taken. Yeah, I, I, I'm of two opinions. Either that they know each other, and this is sort of like, oh, yeah, this is catching them at like, well, is this is this it? Is this you know what what's happening here? Or they are completely indifferent to one another. Like they don't know each other. He's he's just hanging out there waiting for somebody, and she just happens to be waiting to go on stage. You know, it's one of those sort of you can go either way. But either, you know, so either there is familiarity with a little bit of awkwardness or a little bit of um, animosity, or there's this complete indifference. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He's just kind of holding that pork pie hat that he mentions. And one yeah. Of it's, it's kind of down, like right below his waist, you know. And more often than not, you see him with that hat on. Right. It's, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's either It's either complete indifference or... You know, it's yeah. And maybe they, it's a mixture they, they of both. Well. Well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe they know each other very well, and it's indifference at this point. You know, it's sort of like, oh God, I got to be here again with you. Right. <laughs> Who knows? Well, but yeah. whatever, whatever it is, it's sort of it definitely. It, there is a, a, there's always sort of a melancholy. Maybe that's not the right word, but there's always sort of a a, an emotion conjured up that maybe. Things have been better, you know. Things have been better in the past, and right now they're. You're not seeing me at my best, you know. Uh, but that's that's weights, you know. Yeah, Zach, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you today about yeah. uh, the 1976 record uh, "Small Change." Thanks so much for being on the program and sharing this record that it, it sounds like really continues to inspire you in such a profound way. So thanks. Thanks for being on. This has been really fun. This has been fun. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Zach Parkman for taking some time to stop by today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much for all of your support. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn and the like. Take a moment to tell a friend or family about our show and let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. It'll certainly help us appear higher in those search results. And feel free to drop us a line if you'd like at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. And we hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us today as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.